name is Jared. I am the high school director here at Frisco Bible Church, and it's my honor and pleasure to get to share with you this morning. And before we jump into this, I got to say, I, I sat with our worship director, Dana, and talked with her about this message, and she absolutely nailed it with the songs that she chose for this morning. They were a huge blessing to me, and I hope to you as well. So, welcome, you, the chosen few who have, have elected to come to church the last Sunday of the year in between Christmas and New Year's. Well done. It's good to be with you this morning. We're going to begin with a, a quote from John Maynard Keynes. He was a British economist who in 1928, 90 years ago, wrote an article and he predicted, he wrote an article called Economic Possibilities for Our Grandchildren. He predicted that in 100 years, we would work an average of three hours per day. Yeah. And this is the kicker. Most of those hours would actually be unnecessary. Anybody think we're getting close to that? <laughs> Swing and a miss. Oh, we got 10 years to make it happen. This is what he said. We shall do more things for ourselves than, in usual, than is un, that is usual with the rich today. Only too glad to have small duties and tasks and routines. But beyond this, we'll, we shall endeavor to spread the butter thin, the bread thin on the butter. To make what work there is still to be done to be as widely shared as possible. Three-hour shifts or a 15-hour week may put off the problem for a great while. For three hours a day is quite enough to satisfy the old Adam in most of us. Nope. He believed that our largest struggle would not be work, but it would be how to fill all of our leisure time. I regret to inform you that is not our larger struggle. In fact, most of our calendars look like this. If you looked at the month of December on your calendar, it probably looked something like that. I know mine did. We are incredibly busy. Many people in America working an average of 50 or 60 hours a week. Around the world, they get much more vacation time than we do, and that's just part of our culture. We're going to talk about that and the things that we do as a culture to fill our time. I believe John Maynard Keynes was wrong. But it isn't just busyness. We have more challenges than just busyness. There are also natural disasters. They are a challenge. If we look at what happened in Houston last year or the, the many storms that have taken place around the world just in the last year, there are many catastrophic events that have upended lives and displaced families. They are a very real threat today and something that we must deal with. There are also troubles that are man-made. There are political troubles and relational troubles and all kinds of strife and man-made problems that we face. So how, as followers of Jesus, how do we respond in the midst of busyness and chaos? We're going to look at Psalm 46 today, but before we do, there's some background information that I think is very, very important for us, because Psalm 46 is part of a collection of psalms that was written by the sons of Korah. 
The sons of Korah wrote two sections that have been collected in the Psalms. They wrote Psalm 42 through 49 and Psalm 84 through 88, and we're going to specifically focus on the first selection of Psalms. But who were these sons of Korah? They're descendants of one of the Levite clans that were responsible for the sanctuary. Their job was literally to help lead people in worship. They helped facilitate the worship in the temple, and their maybe crowning achievement or moment was when they were responsible for worship when David returned the Ark of the Covenant to Jerusalem. They were charged with leading worship. As we look at Psalm 46, it's also best to look back and understand the context of the greater collection of psalms. And it's very interesting as you read from Psalm 42 all the way through 49. In 42 and 43, there are a number of complaints. And there are things that we can learn from these for sure. So let's take a look very briefly at Psalm 42, 2 through 3. The sons of Korah say, My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night, while they say to me all the day long, Where is your God? These servants of God were used to being mocked. They've been mocked, they've been derided. And yet they praised God. But they also have complaints because of their situation and what they are going through. Look at Psalm 43, verse 2. For you are the God in whom I take refuge. Why have you rejected me? Why do I go about mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? This is right in the Psalms. In fact, if you read through the entire collection of Psalms, all 150 of them, Oftentimes we think of them as being full of praise, and they are for good reason. We think of them as praise and worship. But if you were to divide them up between laments and requests and praise, only 30% of the Psalms are direct praise. The rest is requests and laments. There's also some history in there and different kinds of poetry, but only 30% are praise. You see, God, God can take our questions. He can take our doubts. He can take our complaints. He knows what we're going through, and he wants us to share with him. Even when we have trouble and complaints, God is still there. He still cares. He welcomes that. And so with that, we jump into Psalm 46. We're going to begin by, we're going to break it up into three sections. And so I'd like you to read the underlined text. I'll read the beginning. Psalm 46, verses 1 through 3. God is our refuge and strength. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam. Think about that. Though the mountains be moved into the sea, Though all this happens, God is our refuge and our strength. And that is very, very important. Psalm 46, 1 starts with a point-blank statement about who God is. He is our refuge and our strength. The Hebrew word there for refuge used is mahaseh. Specifically, this means a place of refuge or a strong tower, a mighty fortress, 
a mighty rock, a fortress, a dwelling place. These are places people would go to find safety. Sons of Korah are telling us that God is both, He is the one and He is the place that we can go to to find safety in times of trouble. He is that place and He is the one. What kinds of trouble? Well, the first that they point out that it still happens today. Oh, May 18th, oh, 1980. Sorry, Mount you're going to get to that. First is storms, natural disasters. You see, in our day and age, we have storm shelters. We have sirens that go off as soon as there's a tornado nearby. We've all heard this, right? We have a big storm. You hear a siren. What do you do when the siren goes off? If you're smart, you hide. If you do what I've done, you go outside and try to cover your vehicle last second. That was dumb. The hailstorm we had a year and a half ago. I was outside and my wife was upset with me because I was trying to cover my truck. The hail damaged the truck and my left index finger. We have storms here that are bad and they are threatening. Look at what happened in Houston. But, oh wait, just a second. There are storms that are far more deadly. Have you, if, if you were alive in the 80s, um, there was a mountain in Washington that went off, Mount St. Helens, and I grew up in the Seattle area. Every May, at the end of the semester, every May they would show us this video to remind us of what it was like. Most of us don't remember that. I was six months old when Mount St. Helens erupted, and, and many of you, if you're old enough to remember that, you remember the news coverage, you remember watching that on TV and what that looked like and the, the reports that were shown. If you don't remember that, it was one of the most catastrophic events of the 80s, and it happened right at the very beginning. If you don't remember that, or even if you do, here's a refresher of what it looks like for a mountain to go into the sea and to erupt. May 18, 1980, Mount St. Helens, Washington, 8.32 a.m. An earthquake measuring 5.1 on the Richter scale rips through the core of Mount St. Helens. We began to see this enormous fracture open up. It was as though you were slicing the mountain in half. Twenty-five seconds after the earthquake hits, a huge explosion bursts out from the north face of Mount St. Helens. Superheated gas shoots rock and ash more than 12 miles into the air. In Bear Meadows, 14 miles to the northeast, amateur photographer Gary Rosenquist grabs his camera and snaps 23 photos in just 30 seconds. I couldn't concentrate on a viewfinder, so I started taking photographs again, and I kept taking photographs till the I ran out of film. 8.33 a.m. Two more huge blasts of gas and rock shoot out as the northwest side of the mountain crumbles. The eruption covers a 230-square-mile area and dumps 200 feet of rubble into Spirit Lake. Even with that going on around, God is our Mahase. He is our refuge and the one who gives us strength. And that is why we don't have to fear, though the mountains tremble, the earth shakes, the waters roar. We don't have to fear because he is our source of strength. 
even in a life-threatening situation. Let's move on and read Psalm 46, verses 4 through 7 together. There's a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. The nations rage, the kingdoms totter. His voice. The Lord of hosts is with us. He is with us. There's a second type of trouble. The second type of trouble is man-made. It's the type of trouble that comes when there is strife both relational and governmental. But there's also something very interesting that, that I noticed as I was studying this. In verses 1 through 3, water is threatening. It's deadly. It's destructive. But in verse 4, all of a sudden, water is now a source of peace as it flows into the city of God. It's a source of peace and of life. God takes what was chaotic and makes it peaceful. He is our Mahase. In the two collections of the Psalms of the Sons of Korah, there's two main themes. One is Jerusalem, the city of God. You see it over and over and over again. And second theme is God as king over all the earth. And we see both of these in this small section that we just read. Because God is king over all. He brings peace to chaos. The word in this passage for fortress literally means a fortress on a hill or a high place. And that's really important because sometimes a fortress would be inside of a cave or under a mountain. But the fortress that was on the high place at that time was actually the most defensible and the safest place to go. Because you could see anywhere around you, you would see where the enemy was coming from. They couldn't sneak up on you. And so in a day and age before GPS and smart weapons and that kind of thing, they had to approach you themselves and you were able to defend yourself better if you had the high ground and in a fortress. And so the sons of Korah make that abundantly clear that God is our Mahase. He is a fortress on a hill and he is the one who gives us both strength and refuge. Let's look at Psalm 46 verses 8 through 11. Come, behold the works of the Lord. He makes wars cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted on the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. There's an invitation to come and see what God has done. We're invited in. And we also get to invite others in to see what God has done. How has God been your fortress? How has he been the one to give you strength and to provide what you need. The word for be still in verse 10 is rafa. 
It's used 46 times in the Old Testament. It's translated in many, many different ways. And as far as the ESV translation goes, this is the only time in all of the Old Testament that Rapha is translated as be still. Other times it's translated as refrain, let go, desist, cease, or to leave. In fact, the author of the complete Jewish Bible, which is a great translation, he translates this word Rapha in Psalm 46 as desist. Desist is to actively stop, to choose, to not do something else, but instead to pause. We are called to pause, to stop what we're doing, because in the midst of every kind of trouble, irregardless of what it is, relational, legal, natural, any kind of chaos, God calls us to be still and know that he is God. All that stuff that we're worrying about, the things that fill our time, the things that we worry over, God calls us to desist, to put them aside. That doesn't mean we don't do the best that we can in the situation. We absolutely do but we have to leave the results up to God and give it to him. And honestly, as Americans, this is hard because we like to be proud of our achievement. We like to work and to earn it, don't we? When there's a problem, if we can solve it, we like to get after it, solve it, take a picture and post it on Instagram or whatever and go, hey, look what I did. Or we like to pay somebody else to do it for us. We like to earn it, but that's not the way of God. God says, you can't earn this. You're going so fast, you're working so hard, whatever it is. He says, be still, pause. Years ago, we were in the middle of a very, very busy season for us and our family, and I had some people look at me and, and just look at my face and go, you look tired. I'm like, hey, that's encouraging. Thank you. And one of them said, you look really tired. Are you okay? I said, you know, there's burning the candle. There's burning the candle on both ends. And then there's sometimes where you just take the sucker and throw it in the fire because the wick is too slow. And I was in that season. And God taught me a lot in that season not to depend on myself, but to depend on him. He calls us to be still and to pause. That's the way of God. Not to force it through. Not to run ragged until we have nothing left to give. Because he, he is our mahase. And he calls us to Rafa. Because it's what we need. It's what's best for us. I think there are two applications for this, and there are many more, but there's two that I want to share with you this morning on why I think it's important for us to rafa regularly in the midst of storms. The first, I think we need to pause to be healthy and to be effective. We need to pause to be healthy. 
God has given us rest. It's important when you're sick, you need to rest. When you're injured, you need to rest. When you're incredibly busy and you don't see a way that everything's going to get done, sometimes we just need to realize and remember the world is going to keep spinning. The sun is going to come up in the morning and God is still good. Even if not every box gets checked off. We need to be healthy, but we also need to be effective. It's hard to be effective if we're distracted. I, for one, am a sucker for distraction. Notifications are a tool of Satan to keep you from doing what you're supposed to be doing. Our phones chime, beep, blip, and vibrate constantly. You just get focused on something, and then all of a sudden you have a text message to reply to. You finish that, you get back to what you're working on, somebody sends an email. It's out of control, and it's crazy. Sometimes it feels way too much like this. My name is Doug. I have just met you, and I love you. My master made me this collar. He is a good and smart master, and he made me this collar so that I may talk. Squirrel! Mayhaps you desired squirrel! Hey, I know a joke. A squirrel walks up to a tree and says, I forgot to store acorns for winter and now I am dead. Ha! It is funny because the squirrel gets dead. I hate distractions. No, I actually love them because then I don't have to focus on things. I can jump from one thing to another. And this, I need this because I need to pause. Sometimes I have so many balls going in the air and I feel like a juggler and I'm trying to bounce them with my head and kick them with my feet. And it just gets crazy. And God says to pause. But he also, he calls us to be effective. We can't be effective if we're constantly distracted. And I think one of the great things about the story that we find in Scripture from Genesis to Revelation is that God is calling us regularly, always, to partner with Him in His mission. He wants us to. If you read through Genesis to Revelation, it is the story of God calling people into partnership from Abraham and Moses and Joshua and David, the New Testament with the disciples and Paul. God calls people to work with him in his mission on earth. And we can't be effective for Jesus if we're constantly distracted and worn out. God wants us to be healthy. He wants us to be effective. In his short, brief, I don't think you can even call it a book, more like a pamphlet, The Tyranny of the Urgent, Charles Hummel says it really, really well. He says, prayerful waiting on God is indispensable to effective service. Like the timeout in a basketball game, it enables us to catch our breath and reevaluate our strategy. In prayer, we learn the truth about God ourselves and the tasks he wants us to undertake. Notice, it's the tasks he wants us to undertake, not the tasks that we always want to undertake. The need itself, however urgent, is not the call for us to meet it. The call must come from the Lord who knows our limitations. And we can't know what he is saying unless we listen. And we can't listen unless we're still. We must, Rafa, to hear what God has called us to do. 
Second reason we need to pause is to grow in our trust of God. Early in the Old Testament, we read about God giving the Sabbath to his people. The Hebrew word for Sabbath is very similar to the Hebrew word for cease or desist, which should sound familiar. You see, God calls his people always to stop, to pause, to trust him. From the beginning of scripture to the end, he's calling us to be in relationship with him and to let him be the one who provides us with strength and to be our refuge. God gave the Sabbath to his people at a time in history where production and, and produce, producing food was literally life and death. He called them to stop for one day a week, to not do anything instead, to be in relationship with him and give their attention to him. In fact, he even told them one year out of seven to give the land a Sabbath rest so that the land would continue to produce because the land needed to be nourished as well. And when we Sabbath, when we stop, when we Rafa, we show God that we trust him to take care of our needs instead of us being the ones thinking that we are the ones who provides for ourselves. We show God that we trust him to do the work that only he can do knowing that we can't do it all. And so we pause to grow and to show our trust in God. When you think there's no way you can possibly make it through whatever it is you're going through, pause. Let God have it. Sometimes we get so inconsolable and so overwhelmed by the storm that's around us that we can't possibly see the way out. Years ago, when our youngest son was very small, he would become inconsolable. Something would happen, something tragic, like he would lose his blanket. Or his favorite toy would break. Something that to a two-year-old mind was the end of the world would happen, or he would for any reason just become inconsolable. He would have difficulty breathing. He would be taking these rapid breaths. And I learned that the best thing I could do for him was to go take him into his room and hold him tight. Wrap him up. Be that refuge for him. And he fought me on it. He fought me so hard. He would scream and yell and try to claw his way out. But I knew the best thing for him was to Rafa, to be still. And so I would hold him close and I would take the deepest breaths that I could take, and I would count. And I would tell him before I started counting, we're going to count to 10. And that would kind of, the first couple of times it piqued his interest. He's like, what, why count to 10? Oh, wait, I'm mad. Ah! And I would, I would hold him, and I would take a big, deep breath. One. Two. And I would have him count along with me. And if he began to get agitated again and worked up, I would say, oh, I'm so sorry. We need to start over. And I would hold him and console him until we would get to 10. And he would then be able to calm. It's been shown that most of our poor mistakes come within 10 seconds of something happening. 
Most of our bad decisions are reactionary. They're quick. Instead of pausing and being still and thinking through something, we react immediately. And that's when we make a lot of our choices that we actually regret. We need to pause and trust God. Trust that he has us wrapped in his arms. And let him take care of it. Let him be the one to provide. In the Baker Encyclopedia of the Bible about the Sabbath, Walter Elwell says this. Freed from time-consuming everyday work. Look at that. Freed from time-consuming everyday work. Man should accept the seventh day as a blessing from his creator, using it to recall all God's goodness in creation and to praise him for it and recognize the claim it makes on his life. As a day set aside, the Sabbath is a reminder that all time is the creator's gift, a fact man acknowledges when he consciously gives back to God part of what is his anyway. You see, all time belongs to God. He gives us certain things to steward, and we give it back to him in gratitude. So this morning, I want to ask you, what is God calling you to do? As we enter into a new year and a new season, what is God calling you to do? How is he calling you to pause? And honestly, this is going to be different for all of us because it's relational. And we all have different situations. We're all going through different things. I realize right now this is kind of an awkward time for a message like this because while December, especially the beginning of December through Christmas, was incredibly busy, a lot of us have just had some time off this week and have a few days off in the next week because of New Year's in which we are all commanded, I believe, to watch football. Amen. That's not in the Bible, please. <laughs> don't take that the wrong way. It's, that's my own interpretation. If you don't want to watch football, there's the Hallmark Channel for you. <laughs> you can watch the same movie over and over again with different titles. <laughs> did I say? I did. If I have just offended you, I apologize. But you know it's true. How is God calling you to pause? In this next year, as you think about the year that's coming up, I'm not saying make a resolution. Most resolutions are broken in either two days or 24 hours. That's one of the two. Don't, I'm not saying to make a resolution. What I'm saying is to reflect and to ask God, how do you want me to pause? So we're going to take a minute right now, a couple of minutes actually, and Mikey has graciously agreed to come and play his violin for us. We're going to have just a time to reflect. So if you have something in your hands, I want to encourage you to put it under your seat, whether it's your Bible, notes, your phone, whatever it might be, put it under your seat. And I want to encourage you right now to consciously pause. Mikey's going to play the violin for a couple of minutes, and then we're going to have one minute of just absolute silence and stillness. Because God is our Maha say, and we must, Rafa.
Father, I thank you for the opportunity to pause, to give time back to you. I thank you for being our source of strength and refuge. That in the midst of everything that's going on, the one constant we have is you. I pray that each of us would find that strength that only you provide and would turn to you in times of need. Friends, as we've been talking about this this morning, maybe, maybe you don't know what that's like to have that peace and to be able to pause. If you have not in your life put your trust in Jesus to forgive you of your sins, I would be remiss to not give you the opportunity this morning Don't let another day go by. Don't put it on hold. Don't wait. Trust Jesus to forgive you because there's nothing you can do to earn your salvation. He's already paid the price for you. All you have to do is receive the gift that is offered. So if this makes sense this morning, if this is something that you've never done and this morning you want to say, yeah, Jesus, I do receive that gift. Will you please just put your hand in the air so I can see you and celebrate with you and give God praise and glory for what he's doing in our lives. If that's you, just raise your hand. Okay. Father, I thank you for all that you are, have done and are doing. I pray that we would find you in the chaos because you are always there. And God, I pray too for our offering now as we receive this. I pray that what we give and actually give back to you because you've entrusted us with it to steward. God, that what we give back would help expand your kingdom and bring people into your family. God, may we be a blessing to our community where you've placed us. In Jesus' name, amen.